Would you please pray with me? May the words of our mouth, the words of my mouth, and the word and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Focus our minds now. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we're halfway through Lent, and we've. We're finally hitting some Lenten themes, right? Those, if you've missed the last couple weeks, uh, we're doing a series on the humiliation of Christ, the humbling of Christ. This comes from the Apostles' Creed. And the last couple of weeks, we went through the conception and the birth of Jesus, so we're kind of doing Christmas in Lent. And, uh, well, we're finally in Lent, but we've jumped straight to Holy Week. Uh, Fair warning, we'll be here for the rest of Lent, all the way till Easter. But today, we have before us a particular event in Christ's life, and that's his suffering under the direction of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And there are two particular things I want to think about, kind of meditate on uh, this morning. And the first is, is a bit shorter, uh, but I want to make sure we do not miss this aspect of the suffering of Christ. And the significance here comes from the fact that Isaiah prophesied this suffering of the Messiah, the Christ, uh, in great detail. And we got some of that in our Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah 53. And if you were to look in the gospel accounts, they give some pretty vivid detail as well of the incredible violence, the brutality of what happens to Jesus. Now, they don't give you too much because it was very intense. If your imagination's not very good or if you're just not familiar with the history of Roman punishment, I wouldn't expect most of you would be, but go watch the movie The Passion of the Christ. Uh, it fills out the gaps a lot, just be careful with younger viewers because it is intense. But what this does is you have to understand with this suffering of Jesus is that he's doing it for you, right? This is not a punishment that he deserved, this intense, brutal beating, being beat to a bloody pulp. Jesus did nothing to deserve this. So he does it entirely in your place. He does it for you. And so this should dispel in our minds any notion that God is a warm and fuzzy pushover or some kind of senile grandpa who forgets about things and has no wrath for sin. Huh. No, see, friends, apart from Christ, you're in big trouble. Apart from Christ, you have nothing but fear and shame and a whole lot of pain for all of eternity. But in Christ, he has taken all of that on himself, and you are freed from it. In Christ, you are safe, you're loved, you're forgiven. In other words, in Christ, you are saved. And so, we can talk about the eternity part, where Jesus has taken your place and secured for you eternity with him, with 
God forever. He secured that for you. And that's one part of the suffering of Christ that's there. It's, it's the, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, but Jesus took the heat for you. That, that's there. But today, I really want to spend more time meditating on, thinking through another aspect of the suffering of Christ. And that aspect applies more to our daily lives, I think. And I think that's what a lot of people need to hear. So let's spend some time on that part, the everyday part of the suffering of Jesus. So we think about our context, our modern day, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that we live in some confusing times, right? Uh, And you don't even have to get into the, the political stuff, uh, the more politicized things that's floating around us to recognize this. Yeah, there's confusion about sexuality and the family and what is truth and, and what's a lie. There's that out there. But think about artificial intelligence. And what is that doing to the prospect of jobs throughout the world? I've seen videos where people go on and use chat GPT to make sermons and then compare them to a sermon that this one guy wrote and say, can you tell the difference? I mean, boy, that would make my job easier, but I don't think it would help you very much. This sermon's not prepared by ChatGPT, by the way. Just not, not sponsoring that. But that, that is a confu- How do we deal with this new technology, artificial intelligence? That's kind of confusing. And then in this congregation, we have a need for staff members. But how do we fill those staff positions? We've been talking about it for months. There's confusion. Or just think about raising your kids and about technology. How do you, how do you handle what digital devices are doing to our children? There's a lot of confusion. And in the midst of this confusion, we naturally look for some answers. We're, we're riding some stormy seas, and, and we want an anchor. We want something to keep us steady. And that's understandable. That's good. That's right. The problem is where we look for that anchor, for those answers. The problem is that we usually look for the flashy. We look to someone that we think has got it all together, that we think they're successful, and we're looking for a quick answer. The silver bullet, we look at the surface level, and we think short-term. But this isn't new. This is kind of human nature, because we see this in God's people back throughout the ages. Isaiah talks about this in that Old Testament prophecy I referred to earlier that we read earlier this morning. Isaiah writes, speaking about the Messiah, about Jesus, he says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We thought nothing of him. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we thought he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
and yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, the people of old thought that Jesus was just getting what was coming to him, that he had somehow earned all this. He was being crushed. He was being punished for something he had done. Oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. And that irony comes through quite clearly in the gospel account that we read and the other gospel accounts that we didn't read of the suffering of Jesus, at least if you know where to look. You see, Pilate, who is a real historical man, by the way, not a figment of someone's imagination, Pilate tries to wash his hands of Jesus. He tries to get out from under his responsibility. He tries to claim innocence. Meanwhile, the angry mob gladly claims the guilt for killing him, thinking that they are doing what is right. And in the middle, between these two, Jesus stands and is sentenced to torture and to death. And in his place, they set free a thief, a a rebel, a murderer. Oh, the irony. Because all of these people thought they were doing what was God's will. And perhaps the greatest irony of all is that they were. You see, they were perverting justice, and yet God was working out the ultimate justice. Pilate was doing everything he could to avoid the blood of Jesus. Well, that was the only thing that would bring him forgiveness. And the people, oh, they would gladly take it on them, not knowing what good it did, when really that was the means of their salvation. And so these people are throwing around guilt like a hot potato, and God is in the middle putting it all on his son, Jesus, the spotless lamb who didn't deserve any of it. And he takes it for them. In all of this confusion, God is working out good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Throughout this whole mock trial and the intense beatings, God remained in control. Despite all the confusion of all these people trying to work out their own agenda, no one seeing the big picture, God was moving forward his agenda, your salvation in Christ. Now, they didn't see it because they were looking on the surface. They weren't looking with the eyes of faith. They despised the very one who was working out their salvation. But you, you, having faith, can see that this man, Jesus, this humble, despised, and rejected, broken, and bleeding man, is the only one who can bring life out of death, who can bring meaning 
of suffering. Stephanie and I had uh, an occasion. We were in Cambridge. If you're not aware of this, we were in Cambridge for about six months. We did an extra year. Uh, I had an extra year in seminary, and we were in Cambridge for about six months. And we had a class on ethics. And there was one uh, class period where we were going over end-of-life issues. To prepare for this session, uh, the, the teacher had us read the introduction to a textbook on bioethics. It was written by one Gilbert Mylander. If you've been in Bible study, you may have heard me mention his name. It's not that important, but we have our LCMS pride. He's a, he's a Lutheran pastor, uh, but he's an ethicist. And so Gilbert Mylander uh, writes this introduction to this bioethics textbook, and he's trying to point out that we're approaching this from a generally Christian point of view, that this is based on the scriptures, God's word. And one of the big points that he makes in there is that the avoidance of suffering is not our highest priority. There are worse things that can happen to you than suffering in this life. And I thought, okay, great. This sounds pretty good. We get into the session, and we're, we're, we're beginning this session, opening comments. One guy, an, an Anglican, kind of raises his hand, and uh, he's preparing to go into the ministry in the Anglican church, and he makes this comment. He says, oh, yeah, he must never have suffered before. Excuse me? You see, this, this man took... Mylander's assertion that avoidance of suffering is not our highest priority. He, he thought it was absurd or that it was even cruel to suggest that we might go through suffering in this life. He apparently thought that all suffering was completely meaningless and that it should be avoided at all costs, even the cost of taking your life into your own hands and deciding when it should end, rather than trusting your Creator, your Father, who has appointed a time for you and holds you in His hands. See, there are people all in our world that have that same opinion. Because suffering is hard. That's an understatement, right? Duh! That's what the, me- that's what the word means. But what we hear this morning is that Jesus suffered for you and in your place so that now, as you suffer, as you go through your trials and afflictions, they're not in vain. They're not meaningless. Because of Jesus, your suffering has meaning. And not only that, but Jesus is with you in that suffering. You hear you have cancer. Jesus is with you. Someone stabs you in the back at work. Jesus is with you. You're getting up there in age and you can't do what you used to do. Jesus is with you. You've gotten to the point where you've lost a spouse or a child. Jesus is with you. And when everything else seems hopeless, Jesus is with you. 
And St. Paul exhorts us this morning, rejoice in your sufferings. Sounds great, doesn't it? But you don't feel like rejoicing in your suffering. I know I don't. Paul, are you crazy? It's called suffering for a reason. Okay, let's play a word game. That word rejoicing, maybe it's, it's better translated as boast. We boast in our suffering. Uh, do you feel like boasting in your suffering? No? Oh, I didn't think so. Yeah, I don't really either. But here's the point. The focus is not on the suffering. The focus is on the sufferer, on Jesus. Because when you look to Jesus, you know that he has gone through his suffering, and he now lives and reigns, and that he has glory awaiting, then you can look beyond the moment. You can look beyond the pain. You can look beyond the suffering, and you can look to the future, to the glory ahead, to your very Savior who has suffered for you and with you. You can look past the surface level and see with faith something deeper. And when you do, that suffering produces endurance. And that endurance builds character, and that character brings hope. And as Paul says, that hope does not put us to shame, because that hope is in the risen and victorious Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Problem of Pain, and in there, he says that God kind of whispers to you in pleasure, and he just kind of speaks to you in conscience, but he shouts at you through pain. He likens it to God's megaphone to waken a deaf world. You see, what he's getting at is that pain, suffering, is pointing us to something beyond itself, sin, and its consequences, death, eternal death. And then it points us even further to the solution, the only solution to that problem. That solution is Christ. Christ beaten and bloody, Christ crucified and risen, Christ for you. So as you go through this week, as you go through your life, look to Jesus. Cling to Christ. Trust his promises. Remind yourself of his promises each and every day, every hour if you need to, because he is the only one who has borne your sorrows and carried your burdens. He knows your doubts and your despair. He knows your struggles in your strainings. In the midst of the confusion of this life, look to the one who has suffered for you and know there is meaning in it because of what he has done for you and in the fact that he is with you. Only Jesus can bring you healing and the peace that you need with God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.